males. And sons are strong. They can inherit in most of those cultures. They don't join other families. So one Hindu saying is raising a daughter is like watering your neighbor's garden. Sons need no dowry. Added pressure was brought to bear on this gender preference where the government began to demonically, I think, limit and say that a family could have only one child. And prenatal ultrasounds gave couples of even the humblest means the ability to selectively abort girls. All of these factors, ancient and modern, cultural and political and economic and religious, have now brought about what the economists called a few years ago gendercide. Bangladesh, China, India, Taiwan, all have aborted females and have done so on a ghastly scale that might make even the Nazi death camps blush in shame at the paltry number of people they were able to kill. The Economist cites estimates that would suggest far more than 100 million women have now been killed in Asia alone by this means. They've been prevented from being born by using the ultrasound machine to discover the gender of the child in the womb and abort the girls. More than 100 million children and our attitude toward them tells us so much about the future. Even short of killing children, how we treat children tells a lot about us. So I think of where I live. Washington is full of people who work at the office late and go in on Saturdays and Sundays to prepare and argue over child-friendly welfare bills and child-friendly education initiatives and Head Start programs and reading programs for impoverished children. They're doing good work at HHS and the Department of Education and in the OEOB. It's work that's important to our country. And sometimes, I have no doubt, they sit at their own desks and they think of their own children and they look up and they promise themselves, next week we'll go on a picnic or I'll go to their ball game and their children are home watching TV or on their computer thinking, where's dad? Where's mom? Well, in our time together this morning, I want us to open our Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Let's give attention to Jesus and see what we can learn about children from this very brief passage in Jesus' teaching. Mark, chapter 10. Beginning of verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Three lessons for you today from this passage. Number one, love children. Love children. 
Um, let's admit it. Sometimes, at least certainly, let me speak. As life is back in Washington, children are seen as unimportant and even a hindrance to the real point of life. So we outsource them. Uh, career, education, other things like greed compete with our good desires and sink us down to a mere willingness to have children. I remember a New Yorker cartoon from a few years ago that I thought caught it perfectly. Man down on one knee, clearly proposing to a woman, caption reads, Emily, I want you to be the mother who hires the nanny of my children. Our society is tempted to value people only for what they can do and produce. God values everyone because we are all made in his image. White supremacy is a blasphemous heresy against God who made everyone of every race in his image. Christianity is not just for the powerful, but it's for the powerless. Not just for the learned who have a college degree, but it's for the unlearned. It's not simply for men or adults, but it's for those whom society does not value, who are nevertheless made in God's own image. So our loving children, as Jesus did here in this passage, is clearly countercultural. It's not what we're being encouraged to today. Now, Stanley Hauerwas observes that my own view is that within a hundred years, Christians may be known as those odd people who don't kill their children or their elderly. Brothers and sisters, if God gives you a spouse and then he gives you children, what a great blessing he has given you. Children to show love to, to express something of how God has loved you. What a privilege. Sometimes young parents think that staying home with the kids is preventing evangelizing and discipling ministry that they've gotten used to in college days. But, friend, in the home is where the most important evangelizing and discipling takes place. So, thank you, my brothers and children. For those of you, my brothers and sisters, for those of you who have children, I'm very thankful for that. Thankful for your ministry in that. If you've made children a priority in your own life, in your own family, in the church that you attend, if, if you're part of, so many Christian church members do show that they understand how important Jesus says children are. By the way, they care for their own children and take time to volunteer, to work in the nursery, or, or teach the children in their church. What a wonderful reflection that is of Jesus when you take time to volunteer to care for the children in your congregation. So if you haven't done that, let me just speak as a local church pastor. Please go volunteer in your church to help the members take care of the children of the congregation because Jesus loves children. A second lesson, simple lesson. Number one is love children. Number two evangelize children evangelize children of course we see in our passage not only the example of jesus but the example of these unnamed folks who aren't doing the hindering that jesus forbids but are actually bringing the children to jesus look there verse 13 
Mark writes that they brought the children to Jesus to have him touch them, that is to pray for them. Just like if you were looking back in chapter 8, uh, verse 22, they bring the blind man back to have Jesus touch him. But here in chapter 10, they didn't bring them to be healed or to be taught, even fundamentally, uh, but to be touched, to be prayed for. They were actually recognizing Jesus' greatness by bringing the children specifically to him. They wanted Jesus to pray for their children that they loved. And though we can't no longer bring children to Jesus physically for him to touch, we can bring them to Christ by sharing the gospel with them, letting them know the good news about Jesus, that this Jesus here is one who should be trusted. Just think of your last few weeks. Have you had the opportunity to encourage a child to trust Christ? What does that mean in your life? I take Jesus' stern warning here in verse 14 to be a challenge to all of us here today not to discourage children from, com from coming to Christ. So friends, are any of us guilty of preventing or discouraging children, perhaps your younger brother, your younger sister, from coming to Christ? I'll tell you one big discouragement that I see among young people all the time, and that's hypocrisy. People who call themselves Christians and don't live like it. You know what that 20-year-old is teaching that 10-year-old? That's all just a farce and a play. So don't waste your time with this. That's how you can be hindering young people, hindering children from coming to Christ. So just think about your own life. Are you living in such a way that the kids who look up to you are encouraged themselves to come to Christ? Or are you discouraging them in the way you're living? Or even just passively withholding your influence. When you've got influence you could use to help the kids, but you're not doing that you realize that withholding is actually adding your influence to those who are leading them away from Christ. There, there's no neutrality. Clearly not in our world today. Children will be taught to believe in something. It's just the way we are as people. So do you tell them about Jesus Christ? Do you show them in your life that He is to be revered and worshipped and trusted as the Savior of all who believe. Friends, do you, do you know His message? One of the things we always do with the people joining our church in our membership interviews is we ask them to share the gospel with us. When I do the interview, I'm like slightly tougher. I literally take off my watch, lay it down, and I say, in 60 seconds or less, tell me the good news of Jesus Christ. And what I want to hear from them is that they understand that there's a God who made us, that He made us like Himself, that we've all sinned against Him, that in His great love He sent His only Son to live a life of perfect trust in His heavenly Father and to die on the cross as a substitute, bearing God's good wrath against us for our sins, bearing that for everyone who would ever repent of their sins and trust in Him. He bore that wrath on the cross. And then God raised Him from the dead for our justification. He ascended to heaven where He presented His sacrifice to His heavenly Father. 
And He calls all of us now to turn from our sins and to trust in Him. You can be forgiven for your sins. You can have a real relationship with God. I was a teenage agnostic and became a Christian. And I'm really glad I did. Friends, you can share that message with others, even with people much younger than yourself. Some of us here in the room are parents. So parents, what about you? Are you more careful to educate your children for life in this world than you are the next? This is nothing other than worldliness. And we need to realize that's what too many of us teach our children. Do you think half as much about your child's spiritual well-being as you do about their physical well-being? Parents are so solicitous to make sure their kids are okay. Just call me when you get in tonight. Mom, I'm 26. Yeah, I know. Just You'll understand someday. Call me. Deuteronomy 6-7 practices. You know Deuteronomy 6-7? It's where the Old Testament Israelites are told to teach their children God's Word at home. You know, I was struck when Adam was giving the introduction of you know, thinking another time in God's Word. We can treat it like just another time in God's Word. Really? God's Word. God. God. God's Word. A time in God's Word. Just another time in God's Word? Friends, we must care for those that He's given us. And like we see in Deuteronomy 6-7, impress these commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Don't leave your children being uninstructed, only being taught by those that oppose Christ. And remember that Christ was displeased with, he was even indignant toward his disciples who were preventing the little children from being brought to him physically. What will he think of how we have stewarded our relationships with children? Maybe even, like I say, with your younger brothers or sisters, your cousins, your neighbors. It is very unlike Christ not to love children. To prevent children from coming to him is to oppose Christ. He has come to save sinners, and we want sinners brought to him. So how do we evangelize children? We remember to bring the children to Jesus by telling them about Jesus, by being a good example, by praying for them. I prayed for children this morning in my quiet time. It's a great privilege that I get to go before the Lord and name specific children that I want to see him bring to himself. We do this at home, first of all. Evangelize children. Now, I have to say, everything I've said to you here so far, I don't really think is the point of this text. I've told you two good, true things that are consistent with the Bible's teaching, but I don't think are what this text that I read is about. The point of the text, really, I don't think is about children at all. But it's about all of us, most of us who are adults, about what we should be like. So this is lesson number three. Be childlike yourself. Be childlike yourself. You think about how this passage is not really so much about children at all, but it's about how everyone should be in order to enter the kingdom of God. If you read it, that's what he says. That's the question. 
who receives the kingdom of God. If you've got your Bible open to Mark's Gospel, if you look back in chapter 9, verses 42 to 47, Jesus has shown us that we'll never get into the kingdom by being more committed to our sin than to God. That's not the way to get into the kingdom of God. And he's about to show in his words to the rich young man down there in chapter 10, verse 23, he's about to show how hard it is for the rich to what? To enter the kingdom of God. That's the theme. That's the question. How do I enter the kingdom of God? That is, how do I come into a good relationship with God? So who can enter the kingdom of God? Well, then you look in our text in verse 15. Jesus underscores the importance of what he's saying by beginning with truly. And then he speaks about who will receive the kingdom of God. And notice the kingdom of God is not something that you or I bring about. Instead, it is something that we receive. It's something we accept when it is brought to us like a a word or a message or a messenger or a gift. This is the dominating question in this section of Mark's Gospel. How can someone enter the kingdom of God? And that's especially appropriate as Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem to enter Jerusalem. And along the way, as he walks with his disciples, what we see is that allegiance to sin or allegiance to riches above valuing the kingdom of God will prevent our entry into the kingdom of God. Valuing anything more than God will prevent our entry into the kingdom of God. And see, he speaks here, right here, between those two, the examples of your allegiance to sin being more in chapter 9, and a little bit later in 10 with the rich man, the allegiance to riches being more, right between those two negative examples of a superior allegiance to sin or to riches, then we have this example, the positive example. Don't enter the kingdom this way. Don't enter the kingdom this way. You can't, you can't, you won't, you won't. This is how you enter the kingdom. You enter the kingdom this way, like a child. Jesus says in John 3, 5, that to enter the kingdom of God, we must be born of water and the Spirit. Here, very similar, Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom of God, we must be like a child. People who read this passage as all about children miss the central point. This passage is not all about children. It's actually about most of us here who are adults, whether we are a a 50-something adult or a 20-something adult, and how we are supposed to follow Jesus. And do you know how we're supposed to follow Jesus? Like a child. What does that mean? That we should be marked by inquisitiveness or spontaneity? That we should always be willing to learn? That we are to be pure and innocent? Well, I know some of those things are good. They're things that we may associate with children, but those were not the kind of things that were associated with children in Jesus' day. They did not think of children like that. No, today we have a very romanticized notion of children, and that can confuse us. The Bible clearly understands what typifies children as a lot of it being pretty negative. Uh, Instability. Immaturity. It It can even be rebelliousness. 
obstinacy, unfaithfulness. But the image of being a child can also be beautifully positive, like when we're taught that we are God's children, when we're taught that we're to be dependent upon Him. So Jesus taught His disciples. Remember how He taught them to pray? Our Father. Jesus was teaching all these adults that our most fundamental relationship is where we are the children. Our Father in heaven. In 1 John, we're called the children of God. Paul tells us about how God adopts us in Christ. The kind of childlikeness that Jesus exhorts us to here is a willingness to believe, a willingness to trust, to meekly receive, to humbly depend on others. John Gill put it this way, laying aside all pride and prejudice. Friend, you will never come to Christ through skepticism. If you're one of those guys who really likes apologetics because you like to argue, you'll never come to Christ that way. I'm not saying apologetics are a bad idea. That's okay. God uses that with some people to help them. But the real issues are heart issues. The real issues are what's going on in your heart about who you will trust. We are called to depend on Him completely. We must depend on God for strength. We must depend on God for righteousness because ours is not good enough. We must depend on Him for teaching. We must see that when it comes to salvation, we are like a child too young to walk, reaching up helplessly for our parent to pick us up, to show us to our Heavenly Father. Children are a great image of our own littleness, our own neediness. You realize that? It doesn't matter if you're like the school chaplain or a pastor of a church who's preaching the Bible or somebody who introduced services or basketball players that are national champs, congratulations. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a senior about to graduate, even though all your relatives told you you could never get into college. You know, it, it just doesn't matter how, how big stuff you are in anybody's eyes. Oh, I'm preaching at the Shepherds Conference. But what, what does that matter before God? None of that matters at all. Now, the only way we're going to get to heaven is not by our academic accomplishments or our athletic accomplishments or our spiritual accomplishments. We're going to have to de de depend on somebody else's accomplishments completely and entirely. We'll have to depend on Jesus. And friends, that is what little children symbolize so well. So if children are to enter God's kingdom or any other, they must be helped, be brought, just like you and I must be saved. As I reflect on this passage, I just think, what a kindness it is of God to give us children as a constant picture of this. We get reminded all the time of what it means to be dependent, how we're to relate to God. Next time you're babysitting, you just think, this is a picture of how I'm to relate to God. Not all the bad stuff, but the good stuff. How kind of Him to give us families as living displays of undeserved care and concern. So in the same way that we don't earn salvation, it's a gift. In that sense, I think this little passage in Mark's Gospel is a key summary of this whole section of the Gospel. We come this way of salvation as a gift unearned, where Jesus says here in verse 15, we shall not enter God's kingdom. It's come this way, 
or don't come at all. Entering the kingdom of God means giving up our own claims to it, giving up claims to have earned it by religious observances, by not just chapel attendance, but by attentive, note-taking chapel attendance, by our own righteousness. So if you want to enter the kingdom of God, don't try to become greater in your own eyes, but try to become smaller in your own eyes. Realize how much you're entering the kingdom of God doesn't depend on you and what you bring to the table. It depends on someone else. We come only by His grace. We are, in that sense, to become children again, trusting our Heavenly Father implicitly and completely. I just want to ask my Christian friends here in the room, has God ever proven untrustworthy to you? When you look back and you have a conversation this afternoon with a friend, can you reflect on how he has again and again been faithful? Can you think of examples of that in your own life? Well then, be childlike yourself. Only those will enter the kingdom of God who will receive it like a child. It's not something we earn. It is only by grace. The kingdom is not based on anything in you. It is a gift. It is not about status, who's the greatest, or wealth, who's the richest. Salvation is by grace alone. I pray that God will make that clear to you. And I pray that he'll make you as a student community here at Master's to regularly revel in God's mercy and to commend it to each other in your conversations, in your songs, in your prayers. And friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm delighted you're here today. What a wonderful message for you to hear. Around the world, people think they're supposed to do things to earn God's favor. And Christianity stands in contradiction to all the other religions of the world. And it says you are an utter failure at doing enough to earn God's favor. You cannot do that. You are unable to do that. Bad news. Good news. Someone has done that for everyone who will repent of their sins and trust in him. Jesus Christ has done that. That's good news for you. If you want to understand more about what that means in your life, Pastor Harry would love to talk to you. Adam would love to talk to you. Lots of people around you would love to help you see more of what that could mean for real in your own life. According to the Bible, we're sinners. We cannot earn our way out of God's condemnation. We can't earn our way into God's favor. His forgiveness and favor must be earned by another for us. And in fact, that's what Jesus was on his way to do. Even while he stopped to welcome these children, he was no doubt stealing himself for the kind of childlike faith he himself was about to have to exert over in chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says to his heavenly Father, not what I want, but what you want be done. He was trusting his heavenly Father completely. If we would enter the kingdom of God, we must have that childlike trust in God. We should conclude.
because you need to celebrate basketball and get on with your classes and I got to get down to hear John MacArthur's first message so I can be on a panel about it immediately after he gives it. <laughs> Philip Yancey writes of telling accompanying the late hand surgeon Paul Brand to a return journey to the place of his birth in the southern hills of India in a remote section of the Kali Hills. He writes, Suddenly the jeep crested a small hill and an amazing sight met us. 150 people were waiting alongside the road and had been waiting, we soon learned, for four hours. They surrounded our car, greeting us in the traditional Indian fashion, palms held together, head bowed. Women, colorful as tropical birds in their bright silk saris, draped floral lays around our necks and led us to a feast spread on banana leaves. After the meal, everyone crowded into the mud-walled chapel built by Paul Brand's father and treated us to an hour-long program of hymns, tributes, and ceremonial dances. I remember one speech especially by a woman who spoke of Paul's mother. The hill tribes didn't practice abortion, she said. They disposed of unwanted children by leaving them beside the road. Granny Brand would take in these children, nurse them back to health, rear them, and try to educate them. I was one of the unwanted ones left to die. There were several dozen of us, but she treated it more like an adoption center than an orphanage. We called her Mother of the Hills. When I did well in studies, she paid for me to go off to a proper school, and eventually I earned a master's degree. I now teach nursing at the University of Madras, and I came several hundred miles today to honor the brands for what they did for me and many others. Oh, friends, what, what an image of Granny Brand's work. They disposed of unwanted children by leaving them beside the road. Granny Brand would take in these children, nurse them back to health, rear them, and try to educate them. Oh, what an amazing work. How Christ-like. In some ways, of course, it's Granny Brand that we Christians should want to be like. Granny Brand's love is typical of Christians, giving ourselves self-sacrificially for others to do them good, to bless them. But even more than Granny Brand's love, it's the love of these little children by the side of the road just reaching up to her. That's the love Jesus tells us to have. Because in a childlike way, we should come by God's grace to trust God with our lives entirely, to look up to Him as our Heavenly Father who is infinitely good and wise and powerful and loving. We should look up to Him. And we should trust Him as He takes us in His grace and He makes us His own. That's the only way we'll ever enter the kingdom of heaven. By giving our lives up. Like those little children reached up to Granny Brand. Let's pray. Lord God, help each one of us to do that today. We pray in Jesus' name.